and welcome to The Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andreu. I used to have a running joke with fellow artists about hyperbole in the way we express ourselves. An artist is never tired. We are exhausted. We are never upset. We are livid. We are never hungry. We are ravenous. It is, however, no exaggeration to say that Brexit has been a catastrophe for the arts in Britain, especially for musicians who rely more than most on uniform rules and easy international access. One organization trying to repair the damage done to this sector is the Independent Society of Musicians. It has just released a report comprehensive looking at all the latest data and detailing many recommendations. And I have with me today its chief executive, to explain it all. Welcome to The Bunker, Deborah Annette. Good afternoon, Alex. Deborah, the report found that almost half of musicians saw a significant decline in the work mm. in the EU, and a quarter, or just over a quarter, had actually got none. I seem to remember ministers coming back from Brussels waving papers last year, claiming the visa issue had been resolved. What went wrong? What happened? I don't actually recall that. I think what happened was during 2018 to the end of 2020, those of us in the music sector kept saying to government, you have got to sort out mobility for musicians. Otherwise, that patch of water called the channel is going to be a major blockage for us. And Right across the music sector, we kept talking about this. We talked about visas and work permits, but we also talked about things called carnets and your trucks and how do you get your trucks across the the channel as Mm -hmm. well. So we talked about lots and lots of different things. And government repeatedly via the Department for Culture, Media and Sport kept saying, don't worry about it. It's all in hand. We've all got it sorted. You don't need to worry. So that's what we were told all the way through 2020, which, of course, also was the first year of the pandemic. Hmm. And we kept being told this not to worry. And it had all been sorted and it was going to be dealt with under something called Mode 4. And we investigated Mode 4 and thought, well, that doesn't look quite right. But never mind. I'm sure government knows what it's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Which may have been a mistake, you know, in retrospect. (laughs) So anyway, we got to the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. And the Trade and Cooperation Agreement was published in its final form. And while everybody else was out going to New Year parties, I was sitting in my study going through the TCA, as it's now called, and all the the appendices, trying to work out where the provisions were for the musicians, which we had been told would be in there. And guess what? I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and then I got some friends to read it, and there was nothing in there. So I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure if we were lied to or whether there was a cock-up. Nobody seems to know what happened, but the musicians were totally left out, as were everybody else from the creative industries. So what we had presented to us at the beginning of 2021 was a hard Brexit, and that's what musicians have been navigating ever since. As you know, through my work with Best for Britain in the UK Trade and Business Commission, I'm a big fan of witness evidence. And one of the really notable features in your report, I think, was although it contains the expert information and the tables and the data and the figures, 
it relies most of all on hundreds of members' actual testimony. What were some of the most striking stories that just really stood out for you? I think when we went out to the sector, it was difficult because Brexit has somehow got bound up in COVID, if you like. So musicians were finding it difficult to travel anyway because of the COVID restrictions. So somehow we had to get at the data and make sure it was just Brexit data and not COVID data, which is actually quite complicated. So there was that issue. We also went out across the whole of the music sector. So it's not just ISM members. It's over 400 musicians who previously were working quite a lot in Europe because we wanted to find out exactly what was happening to them. I think the other big thing is that they were all types of musicians, from opera singers to orchestras to rock and pop grime, you name it, it made no difference. Everyone was having a terrible, terrible time. I think the big things that stand out for me is the feeling of frustration that government was not listening to the music sector or the rest of the creative industries. You know, this is a sector when taken as a whole, it's worth £116 billion, Mm -hmm. more than construction, more than finance, and nobody would engage with us in any kind of meaningful sense. And back on the ground, we were hearing repeatedly about people losing work, people being cancelled because they didn't hold an EU passport, people having to choose between their profession as a musician and their nationality. And that is heartbreaking when people say, actually, I'm British, but first and foremost, I'm a musician and they go and get an Irish passport or a German passport, and we have heard that repeatedly. We've heard lots of people saying, you can't get an audition because you don't hold an EU passport. People losing their jobs because they hold a British passport in orchestras, that we've heard that a lot. People just finding it financially impossible, you know, everything from a loss of £500 to, I think, one was something like £450,000 in terms of lost revenue. And that's probably an orchestra because the orchestras just can't tour anymore unless you're right at the very, very, very highest end in terms of funding and income. So right across the whole of the music sector, we've heard that economically it's not viable. There's just vast amounts of bureaucracy. Nobody understands the rules. Border force is unhelpful. There's a constant threat of your musical instrument being confiscated, which for a musician is just, you know, you don't want a £100,000 violin being confiscated by an overly officious border guard. So, you know, this has not made the whole business of touring feel particularly welcoming to British musicians. So they're leaving the country. I mean, I have to say my links to the music world are primarily with classical music and opera. And one of the stories that I hear consistently from friends is not so much that they're not offered things, mm. but 
because they're not even sought out. They, they sort of they don't make it to the list, especially session musicians who might be called to fill in at second violin or do a small part that they've done before because someone is ill or someone has dropped out. They're simply not on the list now because European organizations just see them as too high maintenance an option. They, they don't see them as a flexible enough option. What can be done about it? Well, I think one of the things which is so frustrating is musicians have known that this was going to be a problem, really, ever since the referendum back in 2015. So as a sector, we've been trying to work out what the issues were going to be and then come up with solutions because musicians are, by their nature, very good at problem solving. They're largely freelance. They want to get work. That's what they are. That's who they are, right? And so we repeatedly went to government with a whole list of solutions. Government wasn't interested. Then we had the TCA. Then over 300 organizations wrote to government in April 2021 with a whole list of solutions. Mm. Government was still not interested, not engaged, which is really frustrating. Boris Johnson said it was all fine. We didn't need to worry about it. And you're thinking, which bit of the TCA have you read? So we continue lobbying as a sector. DCMS sets up something called touring meetings with officials and ministers, which go round and round and round and actually don't go anywhere. We say, look, you've got to tackle the mobility problem, which splits into two parts. Half is visa, half is work permit. And we went as an organization, the ISM went and instructed a KC, Sarah Lee, who is one of the top KCs when it comes to EU law. And she said, there is a way around the visa issue. It's something called a visa waiver agreement. It doesn't have to be part of the TCA, can be outside of the TCA. We asked her to draft it for us. She drafted the agreement, which would be between the UK and the EU. We sent it off to the DCMS so they didn't have to do the work. They didn't have to get the legal advice. We did all of that for them. And eventually, they said in September 2021, yes, it works, but we just don't want to do it for political reasons. So it is really frustrating when you keep coming up with solutions to be told we just don't want to do it. And this has happened not just with the visa waiver agreement, but also it's very complicated, something called designated ports, which is if you've got a piece of ivory in your bow, you now need to go through a designated port, which is ridiculous. The amount of bureaucracy that goes through taking your bow through a port is extraordinary. Mm. So much so that violinists are now replacing their ivory with bits of plastic. I mean, it's just so bonkers. So you get to a designated port and you have to get a customs officer to stamp something called a music instrument certificate. Bureaucracy, extraordinary. So he said, couldn't we make Eurostar into a designated port? Because that's where a lot of musicians travel. Yeah, yeah. And we did all the research with the Musicians Union and the Association of British Orchestras. We did all of the work. We gave it to Border Force and the Home Office, and they said, oh, no, we just don't want to do it. So this is what's so frustrating. We keep doing the work and presenting the solutions, but government just doesn't have the will to sort out the problems. 
But Deborah, what's the explanation? All those years on now, first of all, do we have an explanation of why this wasn't originally in the TCA, which I think Dame Sarah Connolly described mm. as a disgraceful fib, because it had been promised and then just wasn't in there. Have you had at any point a satisfactory explanation of what happened in the negotiation, why this was dropped? We don't know what happened. I have absolutely no idea where the negotiation team got to with the creative industries. What I do know is that Lord Frost, who was the lead negotiator, in March 2022, so that's after the TCA came out, said, we may have been too purist around musicians. We got that wrong. We should have done something for them. But of course, it's too late. So we've now got people like the chief negotiator saying, whoops, but that's not really adequate particularly since the government isn't sorting out the mess that they have created, which is harming our economy. To play devil's advocate, some will point to UK Music's report earlier this summer, which says that music has brought in 14 million tourists, 6.6 billion in revenue. It's a burgeoning sector. It looks very pink. So what is the problem? I think that report was looking at people coming into the UK. And what we're talking about is not just tourists coming into the UK in order to enjoy our musical offering, but the musicians going out into Europe and then establishing their career in Europe, which can then lead to breaking into the US. So if you listen to people like Ed Sheeran or Elton John, you will hear them say how important Europe is for developing your career, and then you make it big in the US. If you think about Sarah Connolly, she's really passionate about this. And she says, as a youngster starting out as an opera singer, you need to be able to get to your back door, to the yeah, garden yeah. in your back door, right? You need to be able to jump in and do that opera part in Vienna or Berlin or wherever it may be. And we just don't have that flexibility anymore for young musicians at the start of the career to be able to go off and do that temporary role that just comes up overnight because mm, as you mm. said people just regard them as too much trouble so they don't get the phone call is that why so many artists talk about the pipeline as it's called with such concern is there a danger that if we're looking at the if we're looking at basically what's going on right now on the scene we're seeing the tail of a cash cow mm. that took many, many decades to establish when we were part of the EU, but not enough acts are coming through to refresh the sector effectively. I think there are real concerns about the future, and that's both in pop and rock world, but also in classical. Because if our orchestras are finding it very difficult to tour in Europe, that means they become financially less sustainable Many orchestras from this country have to go to the EU 
in the past to balance their books. Yep. But now they can't make the money from the EU tours that they used to be able to do because of the costs of cabotage, which are astronomical, and the cost of carnets, which can make a tour absolutely unfeasible. So the costs associated now with touring means that orchestras can't balance their books by going into the EU. Now, when many orchestras are facing cuts from Arts Council funding, that then becomes a question around viability. And that's a major, major problem for the classical music sector and whether it's got a financially viable future. For rock and pop, it's slightly different. They have slightly different issues. They're not getting booked to the same extent. There's all kinds of issues around merchandise, same kinds of problems around cabotage. Cabotage, for our listeners to say, it's basically a truck can leave the UK to take equipment to point A, but then there are different rules if it needs to go from point A to point B, from B to C, etc. You then need to engage effectively a European yeah. truck to do that bit. And that's what makes tours so expensive, just to clarify for people who don't know what cabotage is. You're absolutely right. So basically, the UK sector had always had a very healthy tech and truck element to touring. And what we're seeing is that those people and businesses are moving to the EU so that they continue their business. So we're actually losing really effective businesses to the EU because they can't do business in the UK. It's really, really sad. And that goes along with the, as I said, the musicians who are also relocating to places where they can tour freely. So with all of that, you can see the risk to the pipeline you know, we've lost our techies, we've lost our touring companies, the people who relay the trucks, we've lost our musicians. We won't see the results immediately, but five years' time, are we going to have music industry as thriving as it was pre-COVID? I very much doubt it. There's a new culture secretary, Lucy Fraser. I understand you have to be optimistic <laughs> and diplomatic. Have you seen any higher level of engagement? Not as yet. Not as yet. Caroline Dynage sounded quite positive and, you know, she was going to do something and nothing really happened. The various select committees, so the Culture Select Committee, the various select committees in the House of Lords, they have all said government sort this mess out. So the parliamentarians understand that this is a situation that needs to be addressed. The problem is, I think, DCMS is quite a small department and it doesn't have the clout to sort out the mess. That's because a lot of these issues actually are not based in DCMS, but are based in the Home Office or in the Foreign Office or even DEFRA when it comes to CITES. And that's the thing around endangered species in ivory. Yeah, yeah. So you've got all these other government departments that actually are the ones that can make change happen. So DCMS, unfortunately, from what I've seen, doesn't have the power to really do much. Just to open it up a little for the final couple of questions, it strikes me that a lot of organizations are trying to carve some space to fix the rules in small ways to alleviate the damage of Brexit with practical fixes mm. for their small 
patch. And I just wonder, is that too bitty an approach? Might, might we be more effective for you to get together with everyone from the leisure sector to architects to auction houses to, you know, because you face a lot of problems in common, actually, with quite disparate sectors and demand collectively a more radical shift in policy. You're absolutely right. And um, with the touring group that met with DCMS civil servants on that group, were people from right across the creative industry, so people from fashion and film. We do work together. We have been working together. Some of the solutions are the same for all of us, like a visa waiver agreement for the whole of the creative industries would be incredibly helpful. Some are specific things, like the whole business with trucks is very much a music type of thing. The CITES stuff is probably music, possibly auction houses, possibly. So there are little bits that read across, but the big thing undoubtedly is mobility and the issue around carnets, which are very, very costly and do affect theatre as well. So there are definitely areas where actually working together We've said for a long time, we need a solution for the creative industries. We basically need a carve out from the, from the TCA. But the problem is the TCA isn't up for review until 2025. I think we're all very clear in the creative industries what needs to happen. We need a carve out because we are global industries that operate a lot across into Europe. But until we get there, we're going to have to do little bite-sized chunks of solutions. It's very frustrating. So this is something you touched on earlier, just to finish. I mean, we saw this week the government has finally done a deal on the Horizon Research mm -hmm. Programme and is touting it as a huge victory, which it is. I don't mean to do it down, but the creative sector is worth 20 times the research sector to the economy. The last figure I saw was almost 6% of our total GDP, mm. not to mention the incalculable soft power yeah. that the UK used to wield through its creative industries. Why is there such a lack of focus and funding and policy on this? That's such a good question, Alex, and I wish I knew the answer to that. It's not for want of trying, because the creative industries have been lobbying since at least 2018. So that's five years of lobbying. We have mapped out all the solutions. So they know, DCMS know what the solutions are. We have written to Boris Johnson. We've written to various other key people in the Treasury. They know what the solutions are, but there's an absolute lack of will. And I think it is because they think they've got a red line around incoming people. That's what it's about. I think they mm. are fearful of the red wall seats. And if they let the odd creative person come in, even temporarily, they think that that could undermine their whole red wall position. I think that's what drives it. So when we were talking to the cabinet office about the visa waiver agreement, they said, oh, yes, but what about all those Albanians? Frankly, I had no idea what they were talking about, but it seems to be bound up with some kind of real fear around immigration. 
And of course, touring is not immigration. It's just you go out, you do your business. It's touring. It's touring. <laughs> but can't, I can't get that. The answer's in the name. <laughs> you think, but no, I cannot communicate that. Do you think there's also a sense, you may not want to answer this or you may not be able to answer this, but is there a sense that because the creative industries are seen as a little bit artsy and a little bit woke and a little bit liberal and maybe people who don't vote conservative, that it's being punished in a way for not being on board? Well, I think it was 96% of the music community voted against Brexit. We're not exactly Brexiteers over in the music sector. No. We've done our very best to make it work. It's clearly not working. I have been told by a Tory MP, why should we help you? You don't vote Tory. So who knows? Perhaps that is part of the answer. I do hope not. Deborah Annette, uh, thank you so much for a a really good conversation. I know you've sent off your report and I hope you receive uh, a reply and I hope it's uh, creative. (laughs) Let's hope. Remember, there's a new bunker pretty much every day. So if you like our work, you can and should support our work for as little as £3 a month on the funding platform Patreon. Just search for Bunker Podcast Patreon. If music be the food of love, buy is the equivalent of a sandwich. From Venetian princes commissioning operas and jazz music in the era of emancipation to the images of Rostropovich playing Bach suites on his cello in front of Checkpoint Charlie, the free Mandela Wembley concert and Kendrick Lamar's All Right, music has always contained potent political soft power because it can cut through in ways that no speech, no treaty, not even military force can. It is bizarre to see a government boasting we are world beating in just about every field we are not, while continuing to ignore the one sector in which Britain punches several categories above its weight. It is time that governments started treating our creative industries with the respect they deserve and have earned. This is Alex Andreu in the bunker saying over and out. I'm Ros Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now?, the politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Alex Andreu. The producer was Liam Tate, the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey, and the assistant producer was Adam Wright. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production.